For Arizona Public Media, I'm Vanessa Barchfield, sitting in for Mark McLemore. And this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, we'll spend a day with winter visitors and long-term residents at one of Tucson's largest RV parks. A tour of Tucson with crime novelist Elizabeth Gunn. What do solar-powered cars and zombies have to do with STEM courses? We'll explain. And a visit to a local chapter of L'Alliance Francaise, where residents get a chance to practice their French skills while learning about Francophone cultures around the world. Those stories here on Arizona Spotlight. Thousands of people are in Tucson to seek refuge from the harsh winter weather in other parts of the U.S. How do our winter visitors fill their time in the desert? I spent a day with residents of one of the largest RV parks in town to answer that question. Frida Silverman, who goes by Babs, moved to Tucson from the suburbs of Philadelphia about 25 years ago. She was on the road at the time, looking for a new place to call home, and ended up at the Voyager RV Resort kind of by accident. I stopped at a spot to go to the bathroom. Huh. And Hi, how are you? Good. You remember me? No. I'm Paul. Oh, yeah, Paul. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Paul. And um, I met somebody there, and they said this, this was pretty new to stop here, and I did, and I stayed. Babs is one of about 700 residents that lives here year-round, but during these warm winter months, the park's population swells to somewhere closer to 3,000. The Voyager is just off of I-10 and Colb Road. It's one of the first RV parks you hit when you're driving into Tucson from the east. It's a gated community, and after you go through security, you follow a palm tree-lined road that has two lanes in each direction, one for cars and the other for homes on wheels. I meet Babs right next to the main building, which houses check-in, the post office, and the bank. I just went to the bank to see what my check balance was. How's it looking? Now, like, it looks good, and now I can go spend some money. <laughs> She's sitting behind the wheel of her golf cart. Its license plate reads Ms. Babs, and invites me to take a seat next to her for a tour of the sprawling park. You're going to get the ride of your life. <laughs> we pull out of the parking lot and head toward rows of RVs. Some of them are little camper wagons that attach to trucks, and others are huge and plush and look like tour buses that Lady Gaga would travel in. A little further into the park, we hit the section for park model homes, which are RVs that look a bit more like permanent houses. Babs lives in one of these with her cat, who's called Miss Kitty. This is where I live, right here. I asked her if she worked before she moved to Tucson. Not really. Nice. <laughs> I worked as a housewife. Okay. That's work enough. And I raised three children. They're grown now and have children of their own. Okay, where are we going? We're going to go to the right. So what do you like best about being here? The facilities. It's all, you don't have to go out of this place for everything. We've got a restaurant, grocery store, ballroom. Everyone I talk to here gushes about all the activities. While Babs is showing me the lay of the land, across the park in a silversmithing studio, Greta Johnson from Wisconsin is working on polishing stones she bought at the gem shows. And a few doors down, a group of about 30 people are at their weekly discussion on world affairs. This week, they're talking about American foreign policy now, toward Africa as a whole. And when it comes to specifics, Libya, things get heated. The U.S. corporations came in and Somebody just creamed the 
and the Tutsis and the, so forth. That right now is one of the most stable Africa. countries in Africa. The, um, and I'll quote here from missionaries had the Bible and the Africans had the land. And when the missionaries left <laughs> Africa, the missionaries had the land and the Africans had the Bible. <laughs> There's no consensus reached at the end of this discussion, and nothing's really going to come out of these talks on big global issues. So we asked 94-year-old Bernie North what the point is. The purpose of these conversations is to stimulate your own mind and interest in the world beyond just being at the Voyager. That's it. Over the next few months, the group is tackling the Syrian refugee crisis, human trafficking, and Brazil. But today, outside under the sun, people are golfing and swimming and playing the most popular sport here, pickleball. That's right, pickleball. It's played on a badminton-sized court, and it's a combination of tennis and ping pong. That's Judy Termolin from Colorado. You use a paddle instead of a racket, and the court's much smaller, so it's good for us old folks. <laughs> Termolin and her husband aren't staying here at the Voyager. They're in another RV park in town and just came here for the day to check it out. I asked her what life is like in her RV. We have a very small place in Colorado, and when we go home, it looks really big. <laughs> What's her favorite part? We enjoy meeting the people from all over the country, and um, you don't feel any obligations really to do your housework, <laughs> all those things at home. <laughs> Meanwhile, Babs's tour continues. This is the golf course, which is nice. Do you play golf? What? Do you play golf? No, I don't play golf. You notice I stop at all stop signs. She does not stop at all stop signs. But I do look. Another resident I meet at the Voyager is Rita Gillen from Ohio. She spent the past 22 winters in Tucson. For the first two years, she came with her husband, but she's come alone for many years since he died. So I ask her, are there romances for Voyager singles? Oh, I'm sure there are, but I've had two wonderful husbands, and I have had two friends, and... um, uh, wonderful dance partners and and at this age I just love it the way it is. It's her 84th birthday but she won't be celebrating alone. Friends are taking her to see a show at the Gaslight later. That's the beauty power. By this point Babs and I have circled the the property. And And here we are. Thank you for the tour. Quite welcome here. That was wonderful. She drops me off and then heads home to Miss Kitty. As I'm leaving, I drive past an RV that's going to the check-in. And that's how it is at the Voyager. One in, one out, ballroom dancing and pickleball, and not quite coming to a complete stop. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Vanessa Barchfield. Tucson author Elizabeth Gunn started writing mystery novels when she retired from owning a business, raising a family, and traveling the world with her husband. She has a 10-book crime series that takes place in Minnesota and a five-book series featuring a Tucson detective. In the first installment of our series of interviews with authors appearing at the Tucson Festival of Books next month, Andrea Kelly toured sites from Gunn's first local mystery called Cool in Tucson. Their first stop, the path along the Rito River near North First Avenue. Why did you open your book here alongside this dry river 
on the north end of Tucson, this is where the murder takes place. Well, for one thing, they're drug dealers, so they're out at night when not very many other people are, and this is kind of a lonely spot at night. Um, it isn't in the daytime, as you see. It's a bustling place, but at night, this can get very solitary. So the crime happens here along the Rito River, but it's not premeditated, and that kind of sets the pace for the rest of what the villain does throughout the book. He's the first villain that I wrote that I truly loved uh, because he's such a fool, and yet he knows some things that make him really deadly because he's of his street life. Um, and to me, he seems typical of a strain of society that runs through Tucson, of people who are in many ways deeply deprived, but have terrific street smarts and know all kinds of things that I don't know at all. How did you learn about crime and how did you get to this point where you could write about the drug dealers and what their lives I are like? I did it all in that first series, the Minnesota series. My nephew, John Sibley, a fine man, was the deputy chief of police in Rochester, Minnesota at the time when I wanted to get started. You went to that police station. Tell me about other research you did to, to get an expertise in the crime is in your story. Well, so then I just wrote a crime. You know, that's how you start. You write a crime. And then you figure out, well, then what has to happen next? Policemen are all about rules, I have learned. There is just a whole list then of, the, of what they have to do and the order in which they have to do it. And that's been my life, is learning that. You know, you just, you really interview a lot of cops. When we were in the car heading to the next location, she talked about how that research affected her personal life. I, I learned how to fire a gun all right, and, um, and that's partly why my hearing is so bad. I went to a range here in Tucson, and I did get, I rented the rubber, you know, stoppers for my ears, but every time I asked a question, I had to take the thing out to hear the answer and people around me kept on firing and when I came away from the range that day I had lost a couple of layers and most of it's never come back. We are at the corner of Grant and Campbell now. There's two scenes on this corner that you used in the in Cool yeah. in Tucson so let's get out yeah. and talk about this both of those. This is one of my very favorite corners in the whole town. These are two major streets on which just a lot of business of every kind happens. So it's, it would be a major street in my life, even if I didn't write books. It's the most accommodating corner for a mystery writer because it's got everything. Um, let's get out and I'll show you. The scenes here at Grant and Campbell involve a 10-year-old girl who's inadvertently kidnapped. She's sleeping in the backseat of a car when the villain takes it, and he abandons her at the Catalina Theater on the southwest side of the intersection, and she's trying to get across to the northeast side of the intersection to use the phone at Coffee Exchange. You wrote a scene in this old theater to our left that's now closed. You knew it closed shortly after yes, the book yes, published. It, yeah, before I quite finished the book. And then across the street, diagonal across the street, there's another scene in a coffee shop that's now closed. So you've kind of encapsulated some Tucson history that doesn't, it's history now. And it's always going to be like this. 
because Tucson changes while you look at it. Tucson is just a work in progress. It's a big, sprawling border city whose demands are constantly changing, whose personnel is constantly changing. And every time you look around, a whole bunch of, a lot of things have changed. Then we drove to the Greyhound racetrack on the south side of Tucson. The villain uses that as a kind of office space to have meetings with associates. As soon as I felt, saw the place, I just fell in love with it. When the dogs are running and this, this part is open and serving food and everything, this is just a very lively scene. And my, my drug dealer in my book liked it because there was so much action here, so much going on with people running back and forth with food and talking to their children and everything and deal that he he came here to make deals because there was so much talking that it was in effect like a private office. <laughs> the dog track is sort of like life, you know. You can use it for evil purposes, but then it's, it can be very benign too. Yeah. How many sites would you say you check out and and look at as you're considering where to go in your books? before you settle on the ones that actually make it? Well, I have certain characteristics that I need to find for each scene, you know, depending, once I know which, what kind of a scene I want to set there. So I'll usually have a, I'll, I'll usually have one place where somebody lives, you know, a neighborhood scene. And then as, like, the, in the Midtown setting, I like a, I like a big commercial scene that's, somewhere in what we roughly characterize as downtown and because that's uh, got a certain that's got a certain flavor here um, that's not exactly like other cities. I have set many scenes in the south end of Tucson because it is a, a very, I've done ride-alongs here that were very lively indeed. On the other hand all day long, it's full of hardworking people making the best they can of what is often not a very encouraging start in life. My first book was published the year I was 70. That's quite unusual, that's very late. And how old are you now? 87. It is not a good life plan or a good business plan to wait that long. Um, but uh, you've heard the saying that life is what happens while you're planning other things. And that was pretty much the way it went with me. I uh, was married young and then I was very uh, involved with my husband and we did a business together for many, many years and raised two children. And then we went on, then we went on our adventure stage and we went to a lot of different places in the world but it was not a good time to write at all. Gunn will speak on a panel with other mystery writers during the Tucson Festival of Books on the University of Arizona campus on March 14th and 15th. Schooling today's students in STEM courses, science, technology, engineering, and math, is dominating discussions in education. But getting high school students interested in those subjects is a challenge. One group in Tucson has found a way with solar power and zombies. Yes, zombies. Zach Ziegler takes us to a recent event at which students were immersed in STEM fields through a special challenge. 
A few hundred Arizona teenagers are sitting in the University of Arizona's student union, hands busy, actively discussing the challenge they've been given. They're working on a task given to them by the members of the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. Step one, assemble a toy-sized solar-powered car. Step two, turn that car into a vehicle that can transverse a zombie invasion and safely arrive at the finish line. An army of zombies, mm, small green plastic toy zombies. This particular group consists of four boys and one girl, all in high school. I'll let them introduce themselves. My name is Leon. My name is JC. My name is Bryant. My name is Chris. And I'm Oscar. As a group, they settled on a team name. That's the theme from The Walking Dead, the zombie TV show that inspired the team's name. And its popularity led the sponsors of the competition to meet the teens halfway presenting information in a context in which they are familiar. Jaime Goitia is with the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. He helped put together the event. It shows them that engineering is not just being a computer. It's fun. It's not just you're in an office all day. Fellow organizer Jonathan Ariano says it also teaches teamwork. I find it that the, honestly the best way to learn things is definitely hands-on and in teamwork. You hardly ever see in the workplace that you're going to be working alone. And the engineering workplace Ariano describes could be a promising one for these students. In Tucson alone, there are more than 3,000 job openings that pertain to science, technology, engineering, and math. And the average pay, nearly $60,000 a year. The students are given a kit for their solar car and money to purchase glue, toothpicks, rubber bands, and other small supplies to build protection for their car. It's not long before group member Chris comes up with the design idea. So I was saying we do something like this. He rolls a piece of paper into a cone and holds it to the front of the car. Yeah. yeah. So that it'll just move everything to the side. That leads the group to make something similar to what on a train is called a pilot or a cow catcher. Rather than try to skewer the zombies on toothpicks or go over the top of them like some groups plan, they'll simply nudge them out of the way. And Oscar comes up with another unique design element. The students are in a room with hardwood floors and the car's wheels are smooth plastic. And two smooth surfaces could mean traction issues. Now it's time to figure out what they're going to need to complete their build and budget the parts. They decide to build their pilot out of foam board, cardboard, and toothpicks. Yeah, one foam sheet will be good. We cut it in half. Oh, we're going to need scissors. We're going to need scissors to cut the, the foam board. They separate into two groups. One assembles the car, and the other builds the pilot. Leon and Bryant build the car, finishing quickly. They're ready for a first test. The car takes off right into the wall. Repairs and corrections to the design only take a few minutes. The students find the problem that made the car veer right. The next test is a success, so now it's time to attach the two parts. Bryant and Chris talk out one final concern about the zombies getting caught in the car wheels. When we're doing it, we should protect the wheels. Because if the, the wheels? yeah, because if the wheels like Actually, I think if we it can... hits and it gets stuck between like one of the wheels. It's no, that's wheel. why we're having uh, like the arrow. It's yeah. gonna go in front of it and it's gonna be wide gonna enough cover. for the wheels. So it's sense. gonna move everything out of its way. It's time for another test run. 
And again, it pulls right. Now, one more round of troubleshooting. Yeah, why does it do that with the arrow on it? I don't get it. I don't know. Different weight displacement. So a slight change to the angle of the pilot, and the car goes straight. The rolling dead team is ready for the speed trial. The car takes off. The rubber band trick works. The group easily wins the round, doubling the speed of some groups. Now it's time for the obstacle course. Bryant is confident. Oh, yeah, this is zombies. easy money right here. Oscar's not so sure. Look at those ones taped down. Some of the zombies are held to the ground with scotch tape. The group turns on its car and... Oh, oh we missed it! Hold on. <laughs> we just missed it. The right lean is back. A judge says they can have a second try. The car starts and... Oh, we yeah! Got easy money! Woo, we made it! We made it. We made it. The Rolling Dead has one of the few cars to push its way through the obstacle course as it bounces off the last zombie and spins over the finish line. We did well. We did pretty good. I'm pretty proud of it. After the presentation, the team gathered to hear the results. Winner time. But when the announcement comes, no. <laughs> lost my point. Wow. It's because the first time it didn't go straight. Yeah. It might have been. So while the Rolling Dead didn't win, the goal of the event may have been obtained. They were asked if they would consider engineering as a college major. Yeah. Yes. I liked it a lot. If they do end up in engineering or any other STEM field, they could be heading into well-paying jobs with plenty of opportunity. And while they shouldn't have to worry about holding off hordes of zombies, the troubleshooting skills they exhibited could be part of their careers. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Zach Ziegler. Parlez-vous français? Uh, I don't. But for those interested in learning French, l'Alliance Française has been providing assistance for more than 100 years. The group was established in Paris in the 1880s and now has more than 800 centers around the world. Tony Paniagua takes us to the Tucson home of the organization, where members meet throughout the week. French is often described as one of the most beautiful and romantic languages in the world, but it is also a useful global tool. It's an official language in nearly 30 countries. It is one of the official languages of the United Nations, and it is spoken as a first or second tongue by hundreds of millions of people. Il fait beau aujourd'hui à Tucson. And that means it's a really nice day here in Tucson. Tucson resident Mary Carrier has a history with the language. J'aime venir ici à l'Alliance pour le cours de conversation. Originally, I took it in uh, high school. I took a year in college, and then I never took it again until we started traveling to France in the late 1990s, and I realized I really wanted to learn to speak French again. And Carrier is doing that at l'Alliance Française of Tucson. She wants to improve her skills. This is a conversation group, and I think if you went around the room, um, there are people of varying abilities in that conversation group. C'est vraiment. C'est vrai. C'est vrai. C'est vrai. But in addition, you know, the Alliance gives classes. So if someone really wants to improve their French, they can always come here and, and take a class. 
L'Alliance Française leases office space in Midtown Tucson where members and visitors converse and socialize. Si le jour de naissance était le 20 décembre, ça serait autre chose. There's a selection of French language books and periodicals, occasional movies and other linguistic or cultural events. I'm Magali and I'm the director of the Alliance Française of Tucson. Magali Bergola moved to Tucson with her husband because he's working on his law degree at the University of Arizona. Magali's background is in education, French as another language. And I've been teaching for oh, 12 years now. <laughs> Mexico, US, China, different countries. Mm -hmm. Everybody can learn a second language. It can be hard, it is, it, it takes effort. I know some people might be intimidated for the phonetics of French or grammar, uh, but with time you all, you can just overcome these difficulties. So. No worry. <laughs> Stephanie Keenan says her road to success has been somewhat bumpy, but getting better. Keenan conquered Spanish in Colombia while volunteering in the Peace Corps in the 1960s. Decades later, she retired from her job as a bilingual teacher in California, and when she moved to Tucson with her husband, a new linguistic opportunity became available. The first person, our first friend in this neighborhood when we moved here, Gina, she spoke French, and so every we would speak a little French together. And then she said, you should come to the Alliance Francaise. And so one day I did, and boy, the words were just flying by me. I, ah, I thought, oh, this is way beyond me. But Keenan is persevering. Thanks to classes and conversation, she is doing better. If you stick with it, and I did, I understand some now, and I'm feeling more confident, and it's really fun. Magali Bergola again, the director of L'Alliance and a French teacher. It's great because you've, you've met them at the beginning and they don't know a word of, it, of French and suddenly they're able to say little sentence and then they're able to have a conversation with you. So you're just like, well, I've, I've done something. <laughs> so it's rewarding, definitely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's a common sentiment of Alliance Francaise, regardless of ability. Mary Carrier is a student who has been traveling to France since the 1990s. What gives me the most satisfaction coming to this group is realizing that I still can speak French to get the chance to talk to someone like Christine or Nina in their native language. It's, it's great. It's a great experience. And to hear their perspectives on things, it's just really good. I always feel good when I leave here. Magali Bergola says it's a matter of getting started, although the environment for some learners is more suited for additional languages. Bergola is originally from France, and her husband is from Venezuela. Their little girl was born in the United States, and she's growing up with three languages. English in school, Spanish from her father, and French from mom. I think it's great. I think she's lucky. She won't have to learn those three languages. It would be just natural for her and she will maybe learn Chinese or other language. I don't know, but she's exposed to three different languages. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Tony Paniagua. Thanks for listening to Arizona Spotlight. The show originates from the AZPM radio studios. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. The music is by Calexico. I'm producer and host Vanessa Barchfield, filling in this week for Mark McLemore.